Hello, everyone. Bob Oxley here. Going to be time for another episode of Tips, Topics, Issues, and Positions. And today, uh, the topic is going to be on gender equality. And I'm very fortunate to have uh, Deborah Decker with us today. Um, she is currently the Assistant Director of Advising here at Dixie State University and uh, also past president of the Dixie State University chapter of the Utah Women in Higher Education Network. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you, Bob. All right. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule because I know things are really active here on campus. There's a lot of activities going on, so I really appreciate any time uh, members of the staff or, or the faculty can have an opportunity to sit down and I get a chance to pick their brain a little bit. So. <laughs> Well, you're of, very welcome. <laughs> oh, great. There's a lot of things going on in the world today, but I think from the United States standpoint and society around the world, they're taking a look at uh, this movement. And this movement is the hashtag Me Too movement. And uh, I've had a lot of listeners call in, hey, did you ever consider talking about the Me Too movement? Because I don't know that much about it. I don't understand when it started. Um, is it going to be influential? Is it influential? Where do you think it's going to go in the future? So, you know what I want to do? I want to talk, touch on all those little things with you and get your opinion because, like I say, you were the uh, past president for the uh, UN here at Dixie State University, and uh, you, you're, I'm sure you've been confronted with a number of these issues from a number of different fronts that you've had to address oh, uh, sure. in that position. So. Uh, I guess we'll start off with, we always start off simple here on tips. We always, just to give us a, a basic definition and then we move forward from there. So when I say the word uh, hashtag me too movement, what does that really mean? So we probably need to back up actually a little bit further from that. Okay. So the me too movement actually is, is a lot older than most people think. It was actually started in 2006. Wow. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a hashtag at that point. It was started by um, a woman named um, Tarana Burke, and her focus was on helping women, specifically minority women, to feel empathy for one another and to empower each other. Um, and that's also the point of the hashtag Me Too. That happened later um, with Alyssa Milano and some of the things that were coming out of Hollywood. Right. And um, she just really sought, I think, to to elevate um, that movement. And we know we know that social media is where a lot of us live. It's where a lot of us get our um, interactions around not only the United States but around the world. And so that's. Um, how that came about, and it just, the response was really a tidal wave. I don't think people expected the response that it received. Yeah. And I'm guilty. <laughs> I'm guilty. Because I know when it first came out, I thought to myself, and here I am, sociologist, thought to myself, oh, here we go again. It's going to be another one of those flash uh, in, in a pan type things. It's going to last a couple of years. It's going to peak and valley and that's going to be it. I had no idea where it's gone. Can you talk to us a little bit? I know you said it starts in 2006, so it's 12 years older. I, I didn't realize it was that old. Uh, and as far as the movement is concerned and the growth of the movement, and I guess we'll talk a little bit later about the influence, but I just just so our listeners can really have a, a really uh, understand understanding of the Me Too movement itself. I mean, 
where it started in 2006 and where is this today? Can you kind of like walk us through almost like a mini timetable for that? Sure. So, um, so like I said, it started early on, very focused on minority women, um, allowing them to feel like they weren't alone. Um, uh, when we're talking about things like sexual harassment, sexual abuse, rape, those kinds of events typically are very shaming and tend to um, create feelings where women actually withdraw um, instead of seeking out support. And so that was how things started. Um, and then as things started to um, come forward as far as Hollywood goes and very high profile um, producers and and people in positions of power um, were starting to um, people were starting to openly talk about you know things that they had done um, that's when um, things really got going with with the hashtag me too um, and like I said once it hit social media you know Twitter Facebook those kinds of things it really was just an overwhelming response from women who were who were willing to to maybe for the first time, put out there that, yeah, I have experience with this too. This happened to me as well, which um, for a lot of women is very empowering because, like I say, usually when you look at events like this, um, the, the tendency is to withdraw. The tendency isn't to seek out support, seek out others who can help you or others who can, you know, commiserate and, and help you seek the help that you need. Usually your, your tendency is to withdraw. Um, and so um, by bringing it out into social media, it just had access, I think, just to so many more women on not just, you know, not just a national scale, but a global scale. If you look at some of the responses from other countries as well, France has been a big one that's been talking about, you know, the pros and the cons of this and where it's going. And so it really, I think, helped to spark some new conversation and some new direction as to, okay, where are we in this movement of gender equality? Fantastic. Uh, do you think, uh, just based on uh, the timeline that we're looking at here, the result of like the cases like Weinstein, mm -hmm. when, when the California Hollywood set got involved with this, do you think that was a catalyst to make this movement even stronger than it could have been? I think so, because I think part of... Uh, Anytime you're talking about a power differential, right, um, there's always the feeling that, well, you know, it's just me trying to um, make a difference. I don't have the power. Other people have the power. And so I think when we saw things really start to happen within Hollywood where there is fame, there's lots of money, you know, people, you know, People tend to be sheltered by those things um, from, you know, uh, judicial measures, from um, from the backlash of being accused of doing things, you know, that tends to provide a little bit of protection if you have money and you have power. Um, and so to be able to see some of that start to break down and to realize that, oh, you know, in our society, this is still considered wrong you know, and things can be done about it and things can change, uh, even if it's after the fact. Like a lot of these cases that we're seeing, yes, there have been, you know, decades sometimes between events happening and then them finally coming forward. 
It's, it's a, an amazing thing. If you sat back and looked at the whole progression, mm-hmm. it, it is amazing. But I think it got notoriety, at least from the total society and the global society, right. when some of the big, powerful people, Weinstein being one, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody was afraid of him in Hollywood. He, he controlled the studio. Uh, and then it started happening. We had the Bill Cosby situation going on. We had Charlie Rose, his own show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we started seeing people, women coming forward and challenging things that they had been had to uh, accept, supposedly, uh, from these powerful people that had no feelings or sensitivity to them. And they, just because they were a female, that they felt like they were the patriarchal idea that males are dominant, and because they're in power, that they can get away with this. And if they try to cause me a problem, they'll lose their jobs or we'll blackball them or we'll drag them through the courts over the years and they'll never keep up the economic of that. Um, it was just an amazing movement as it's come along. And so you agree in, uh, in what you said is that the people that were in power, I think this added credibility to the movement because these are people that were in con- complete control of their destiny, their life. And uh, like CBS, the president of CBS recently, mm-hmm. all these, all these situations. Now, as a result, now correct me if I'm wrong, um, and if you could elaborate on this a little bit, I guess the funding that has come in from all over the world for this movement adds even more credibility for women, encouragement for women to come forward when they've been violated because there are funds now available for their legal defense. Is that correct? So you're right, it's especially for women who don't maybe have a lot of financial resources themselves. We know litigation is expensive. It it is terribly expensive. And the whole process is very intimidating just to begin with. And so if you're a woman that has been accused, you don't have that financial backing um, and you don't feel like, um, gosh, I, I don't know as I can put, you know, that kind of resources behind this fight you know, why are you ever going to step forward? So now that, um, and I think too, um, previously, um, and you alluded to this, I think previously for women, there was a kind of hopelessness yes. um, in feeling that, well, it, it just happens. It's never going to change. It's part of society. Um, and, and it's a fight that just, you know, won't, won't be won. I think these these changes that we're seeing, um, even if it has been, you know, decades um, since the initial happening, are giving women hope that things can change. Society itself can change, and and sometimes these legal battles can be won, although it is very complex, and typically um, these things are very, very hard to prove. Um, finding evidence, you know, 15 years later, I mean... Um, it's it's really difficult, but not impossible. Right, and it's going through a series of statements. We know, like polygraphs was brought up recently, and those those are not admissible in the courts anymore, so they're no. worthless. Yeah. Um, and you're right. I think the biggest problem is, <clears throat> even if there is a uh, a case uh, where some of these women are coming forward saying this happened to me, uh, trying to ascertain the necessary evidence levels that are required, even if they go to the district attorney and saying we 
we have this situation, this incident took place, and this the dates and the times, and the people were there and whatever. Uh, if there's not enough evidence, the district attorneys are turning them away. They're pushing them back, saying, we can try this thing. We're just spinning our wheels and wasting our time, and we have so many cases in backlog. And so that, that, that's got to be frustrating also. But the good news is, and you've just verified this, is that I understand the funds are just coming in from all over the world toward, for this movement, for legal funds to help women out at all levels, which is even more encouraging. It's not just the Hollywood types that get all the recognition in the papers. It's, it's everyday women that have been exploited uh, in, whatever, in whatever form, have been violated, and uh, that has got to stop. And I think this movement is really pushing forward on that. Um, anything you see on the horizon other than the cases that are happening now, do you think the movement, we're not going to see it stall? It's going to continue on? Do you think is it, the reason it's continuing to grow and getting people on board and saying this is worthwhile and adopting it is because of the high-level cases, or do you think, um, it's going to continue on just because it's the right thing to do. It's a morally good thing to do. I think there's several. You know, everything's multiply caused, right? So I think some of it is the the notoriety and some of the big cases. But I also think we've finally gotten to the point where we've hit kind of critical mass. You know, where there's enough women willing to come forward. Um, and I mean, I I think in some ways some of the saddest. Um, part of the situation we're in is um, realizing that, you know, we all create the world that our children inherit. So a lot of times there's not much we can do about our inheritance other than to change things for the next generation. Um, And and hopefully we're starting to see that, that shift happen. I mean, social change is difficult. It takes sometimes a long time. Sometimes it can be quick. Um, And part of that is having enough people involved, both men and women. This is not not something that should be just a conversation among women. This should be among people of all gender. Um, And I know that right now you're starting to see a little bit of um, concern from some sectors that things are going to overcorrect, you know, that we're going to go too far the other way. Um, And the difficult thing there is, you know, it's hard to know. You can't predict the future. You know, you just have to do the best with what you've inherited and what you see needing to come forward. Right. Um, That makes sense because I can see, you know, the pendulum going too far the other way. It's going to have a pushback. And it'll defeat a lot of the good that's been accomplished. Right, right, and I and you read about that in articles in the New York Times and in the Washington Post. Um, concerns that um, another movement that's kind of a, you know, following in the wake of Me Too is um, Believe Women, um, and you know both sides, you know, of of that issue of. Well, yes, we, we should believe women because statistically we've seen that most accusations are proven to be true, um, especially if they get into that legal realm. Um, however, are there false accusations? Of course. Um, and there's concern that, you know, uh, that in some ways uh, we don't want to believe women because they're women, you know, 
but we want to believe women based on the history of what we've seen, is that most of the time if a woman is willing to come forward, something has happened. Um, and that it, you know, it bears, you know, it, and and that it bears looking into, that it bears, can bear the weight of scrutiny. Right. And I, another movement I've just been made aware of is uh, saying why I did not report all one word, why I did not report. The biggest, one of the biggest pushbacks is, well, if it was such a shocking thing to you, why didn't you file a police report? Uh, and why did you wait 10 years mm. to come out now? Because the Me Too movement? Because you feel secure? You want to jump on the bandwagon? Why didn't you do that right away? I can. Uh, that's that pendulum thing you were talking about, going yeah. one way. And people, are, there is some kind of a pushback coming up. And that's why you have um, a responsive type little networks, little hashtags coming out. The one thing that's amazing to me is, is uh, social media, the influence of social media. This, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the reason it's so effective is because of social media. Because 24 hours, seven days a week, you can get information about stories and uh, updates. And uh, where that wasn't the case, you had to depend on the news, the 6 o'clock news, which crammed in maybe one, <laughs> one short story and never returned to it the next night. So you didn't know what happened. You kind of forgot about it. And right. that's not the case today. Everything's live. It's 24 hours, seven days a week globally. Yeah. And uh, that just reinforces these movements like the Me Too movement, which is very, very important. When I think, too, women can choose to engage now on the level they're comfortable, um, whether it's, you know, just posting a hashtag, whether it's sharing their story, you know, um, with friends or publicly. You know, there's I think social media has allowed more of that i'm going to engage with this at a level that i'm comfortable right whereas before if you were in you were all in yeah, and that, how many of point. us are comfortable with that that's a good point because you do have uh, uh individuals that are uh, very nervous have a high anxiety rate out in public but they get in front of a screen and they can open up Mm -hmm. And that way they get across and then now they see it on the screen and they start getting positive reinforcement coming back to them mm -hmm. and it gives them the necessary co courage to possibly take it to the next step. Right. Very interesting. That was a great point you brought up. I, I, I'm, I'm putting pieces together as you're talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of exciting. Okay. Uh, I guess maybe we want to bring this up to date a little bit. Okay. <laughs> and when I say up to date, I'm talking about yesterday. Um, we have a candidate for the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, Brett uh, Kavanaugh, who has been challenged by uh, Christine Ford, a professor at Palo Alto University in California, who claims that when they were in high school 35 years ago, uh, that uh, at a, a quasi-party, and I want to say quasi because it was, it was just a meeting of you know, two, two women and, and two or three men, and they got they knew each other by sight and that time they got chit chatting uh, at the at the country club I believe it was, and uh, they proceeded to have a beer or two and then then proceeded to uh, uh, Christine was being forced uh, by Brett Kavanaugh who is the candidate, and yesterday there was testimony that went on. And uh, I guess uh, you get an opportunity to see some of that yesterday. Yes. Okay. Can yeah. you give me your impression? Of, give me your impression of how Christine Ford handled herself as far as 
testifying to this incident that happened 35 years ago. Did, was she believable, do you think? Well, I think, uh, and you can see in, in other people's responses that most people felt like her testimony was very, very heartfelt, very sincere. Um, obviously, even though this happened more than a decade ago, it's still affecting her. It's still, and, and it affected anyone who heard it. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, that's, that's probably one of the saddest parts about this kind of situation for our society is it hurts all of society when these things happen and it hurts for a long time. It's not something that you experience and then, you know, in a week or two, you're back to your old self that, that doesn't happen. Um, I think she, um, had an incredible amount of poise, um, considering the topics that they were covering. Um, sharing a story like that's difficult in any situation, um, even if it's, you know, in, in a room with a therapist. That's very what difficult. What she mentioned, that's when she really opened up when she actually went to the therapist. Yeah, and so to do that on, on national television, it was yeah. all over the world. People it was. were glued. I mean, it was. it was all over the world. People were just glued to this because it was such a cultural incident, event. Yeah. yeah. They said even even the New York Stock Exchange was, you know, subdued as people were, were watching and, and watching this unfold. Um, so, and, you know, we're, like we talked about, we're, we're waiting today to, to see what that vote is. And I think the reason people are so passionate about this is we know that this isn't a four-year term. This isn't, you know, this is for life. And so when the stakes are that high, you want to be so much more careful, you know, that Absolutely. it's done right and that the right candidate is there. What, what, what was your feeling when you saw that the 11 white males on the Republican side hired a prosecutor from Arizona to ask the questions on their, on their behalf to uh, uh, Professor Ford? What was your feeling on that? I, I actually was surprised that they chose to do that in some ways because— from an outsider looking in, it you know that looks like okay, you're you're already there's already eleven of you, and then you're gonna bring in an expert prosecutor to ask the questions when this isn't. I mean, this isn't judicial. No, this is not a trial. Um, I don't know. It, I I was very surprised that they chose to be to take that course of action because I think that makes all of us kind of step back and say, Hey, wait, I, but some why? of the reason, well, some of the reasoning yeah, that I was given why talking to some of my colleagues was that, uh, there were 11 white males and they were afraid to ask questions. Could they be misunderstood as taking aggressive action against a female? So male, female, and some mm-hmm. of them are up for reelection. And that could be very true. I mean, we we do have to be somewhat sensitive to um, to how things roll out, and like we talked about that overcorrection, and you know, and how um, males in the workplace, you know, what position are we putting them in? I mean, we don't want to 
believe all women, right, without facts and without things, but we know historically most of the time it's true, but we we don't want to disbelieve men just because they're men, you know. So that's, you know, that's kind of interesting. And, and, and it, you know, we always want to be sensitive to make sure that um, we're not, you know, I, I don't think if you look at the movements and the big speakers in the movements, most of the time they are not out there to to vilify men. You know, they want this to be a joint conversation. They see this as a way that we can move society forward as a whole, not just women, but also men. Yes, I agree with you. I, uh, I <clears throat> was a little taken back. And then uh, when uh, uh, candidate Kavanaugh came up, he was more aggressive. Than he's ever been. Than he's ever been. I think he was encouraged by members of the Republican as well as President Trump might have intervened in saying, you're not aggressive enough. You've got to be more emphatic about this. You've got to be solid. And I thought that one of the key points was when uh, Professor Ford was asked, are you, how how confident are you with your recollection of what transpired? And she said 100%. Yeah. And then he was asked the same question and he said 100%. So you've got, he said, she said, situation uh but what's really unique is because we're talking about the me too movement this really is a window as to where we are and not just what's happening today if they do the uh count today that Mm -hmm. they take the vote today and it has to go move on to the entire senate after that but uh this is a this is a snapshot this was a cultural event Mm-hmm. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the upcoming midterm elections and where our society goes here in the United States as well as globally as a result of this one event. Well, guess what? I just got the high sign from my technician out there that we're out of time, unfortunately. I could continue with this conversation for another three or four hours, mm-hmm. but uh, I just wanted to take an opportunity to thank you once again. Uh, Deborah Decker came all the way over here from the advising group. She's the assistant director for advising here at Dixie State University. And more importantly, she is the uh, past president for the Dixie State University chapter for Utah Women in Higher Education Network, which is UN, right? I really appreciate you taking your time and and conveying some of your interpretation as to what's happening with the Me Too movement and more specifically wound it up talking about a very important decision coming up with the uh, Supreme Court Justice. So uh, on behalf of TIPS, I want to thank you for being here. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, that concludes another tips show, uh, topics, issues, and positions. Uh, you can hear this, uh, this presentation, uh, at 3 PM on Friday today on KDXI 100.3 FM and rebroadcast tomorrow, Saturday at 4:30 PM. Also, you can take a look at, uh, Deborah's beautiful face and my, well, you know, crinkly <laughs> face, uh, on Facebook, uh, on YouTube, on Twitter, and again, we're using our podcast affiliate, Podbean. Uh, you can take a look at us at 24 hours, seven days a week, whenever you want. Put it in your archive. Uh, and we want to thank you for being with us, listening, as well as viewing. And we look forward to having you with us again next week. So this is Bob Oxley for Tips, signing off now, and have a good day.